Sorry, it hasn't been a minute since we've done one of these, but circumstances and other things happen. But I'm joined by a sports talk legend, a play-by-play legend, and he's back in sports talk again at WNSR from two to four weekdays. I'm speaking today with George Plaster on my podcast. And for you, when did sports, in particular broadcasting, really take hold for you? I kind of knew really early. I mean, I knew by about age 12 that this was something I was really going to pursue. And I guess the best thing I can say for me is that I never let anybody talk me out of it. Um, and you know, all these years later, I've never regretted that at all. Uh, I consider myself really fortunate that I've gotten to do what I call the toy department of life for a long time. And in that respect, God has really blessed me, uh, to be able to do what I've done all these years. I went back on the YouTube wormhole a little bit, uh, Try to catch what's on your work, and I remember hearing the Carl P and the Carl P and the P team with you being. (laughs) (laughs) You're going back a ways. Yeah, I am because I'm like, whoa, Plaz did sports updates with Carl P and the P team. Now this brings up the following question: What was that zoo crew like on KDF back in the '80s when you were doing just sports updates? Well, I had worked uh, in that building, uh, a gentleman named Paul Lyle, uh, in 1978. I was a freshman at Vandy, oh and Paul, Paul somehow thought I had something, you know, that, that was going to make it, and he hired me, and in that building was a small AM station, WKDA, and, of course, the the at the time, the rock and roll powerhouse KDF. Mm-hmm. And that's how I got to know Carl P. And, you know, he and I always, um, we both got a crazy sense of humor. We both liked to laugh. <laughs> and so he and I hit it off. And one day he said, what would you think about doing uh, sports casts on my show? And, and I just jumped at it. I mean, now, you know, you threw the word legend around pretty loosely a few minutes ago carl p is a legend yes he's definitely that i, th- I think he had uh mike the duke donegan who's the titans pa voice still he sure did mike mike gave me my first uh my first uh job out of uh out of college no way yeah now being around a carl p a mike the duke donegan and others you were you know, at the time, being taught, being able to sit under the learning tree of radio slash broadcasting, what were the attributes you wanted to take from each one, but use as your own as you moved forward in your career? Oh, I don't know. Was I, Luther, I don't know that I was smart enough to think any of that kind of stuff, but I will tell you this, the, uh, the guy that probably influenced me as much as anybody was the, the, the 
country legend Ralph Emery. Oh yeah. Uh, I, I was I, I was allowed to be the sports <clears throat> guy on the old Waking Crew, mm-hmm. and that was in the early '80s. The Waking Crew was a live band show. Uh, probably the only one of its kind around the country. And Ralph was the host of it. And to watch Ralph go out into a crowd where he knew absolutely nobody and to be able to carry a conversation with people for 10 to 15 minutes on the air, it just blew my mind. And that was such a great teaching tool for what I was about to get into. Um, and, And so, you know, now that's kind of what I do. You know, I talk to people over the years on a daily basis that I may not know, but I've been coming into their home or, or their car for who knows how long. And uh, Ralph, Ralph just taught me a lot about how to how to interview people, you know, how to how to deal with people you don't know, what questions to ask that sort of, you know, um, or the icebreaker, he was the best at it I've ever seen. So, after you worked with Ralph Emery, you worked with Carl P. and the P team, well, Carl P. and his P team, when did Sports Night and Sports, and then I guess later on, Play by Play come into the mix? Well, the Play by Play had always been there. And I got lucky uh, in that I had a backer that was unbelievable, C.M. Newton, who, you know, at that time when I first met him was Vanderbilt's basketball coach and later became Kentucky's athletic director. Mm -hmm. And so I got the chance to be a Division I play-by-play announcer at a ridiculously early age. Now, I thought my tapes were good enough but I also knew that Coach Newton could open doors that I could never open. I, I could never repay the debt, um, you know, of all the things he did for me. All the times I would pick up the phone and say, Coach Newton, this job's open. Do you know anybody? And he always knew somebody. Uh, he was absolutely amazing in that respect. And, and really the sports talk thing kind of happened by accident. Uh, I came home after a year in Memphis. I was kind of homesick. Um, even though I love doing the games as Memphis State's play-by-play announcer, um, I, I really wasn't happy down there. I came back home without a job. My parents were furious with me. And Duncan Stewart kind of offered me a little bit of a lifeline to be a, a sports talk show host, which at the time I thought was kind of stupid. And I turned him down a couple of times, and this shows how dumb I am. Little did I know that this was going to open a door for the next 30 years that was going to feed me. And and it was going to be incredible fun. Um, You know, I think I've been treated as well, if not better, than any sports talk show host. Um, I kind of got in on the ground floor of it uh, in Nashville. And to be honest, around the country, around 1990, there really were not a lot of sports talk shows. KMOX in St. Louis was one that did it. 3WE out of Cleveland with the guy I consider the godfather of sports talk radio, Pete Franklin, 
but really there were not a lot of others doing it. Now you I look think around. WFA, I think WFAN at the time was doing it too. Yeah. With, uh, Same Mando. kind of deal. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I, I guess it's just being in the right place at the right time. Sometimes you'd rather be lucky than good. So answer me this at the university of Memphis at the time, Memphis state, did you say that you had a three-person broadcast crew with you, the late Jackie, and the late Paul Hartley, who was taken way too young with cancer, by the way? Yeah, no, it was I actually – they, so. they got rid of Jack. Oh, I man. replaced Jack. It was me, uh, the late Paul Hartledge, and mm-hmm. Lee Fowler in a three-man basketball crew. And to be honest um, – that decision made no sense whatsoever. No. Uh, three people in basketball is about one to one and a quarter people too many. And Lee that, That's almost guy, like having to do a three-person booth with football, which is almost impossible. Yeah, it's hard. I mean, you can, you can do it better in football. It's easier. In basketball, especially if your team is pretty up-tempo, you've got no chance at making that work. So, was Paul basically color, or was Lee Fowler color, and Paul did, you know, the halftime stuff, and he just fit in where he could get in? Well, in the three-man booth. In all honesty, unless I were to go back and listen to a tape all these years later, I'm not sure what we were doing. We were running a Chinese fire drill, and Lee was the guy that needed to be the, the basketball color announcer. It just was, it, it was a tough deal. It was tough on Paul. It was tough on me. And, and the thing that maybe I didn't appreciate at the time, I was replacing Jack Eaton, who had been a legend down there for 30 years. And he was still in the television business at the time. And one of the things that, that I really didn't understand was Memphis didn't really appreciate the fact that somebody from Nashville got hired. That was probably their biggest gripe on me, and that caught me totally off guard. I had no idea the level of feeling there was there in Memphis about Nashville. So then you get the Vanderbilt gigging to work with John Gromos for a while, then you have your Carolina Anderson basketball, Willie Donick, who's gone on to do pretty well for himself as the TV voice of the Predators. Sure has. Used to do radio, and he was with you for a long period of time on Sports League. Well, I'm, but, first of all, I'm, I'm really proud of Willie. Uh, I'm also pretty happy because I was the guy that sort of plucked Willie, you know, out of thin air. And, um, you know, I hope I was a halfway decent teacher. Uh, he's going on to do some great things. I'm really proud of him. Who was the uh, who was your analyst at that time, or did Willie come on from day one with you for basketball? Just out of curiosity, Ron Bargatze did the first year. Uh, then Willie stepped in. Gromos, uh, I was allowed to pick John Gromos, and Gromos and I played on a uh, on a city league basketball team together. And I remember talking to John about it, and you know, trying to gauge his interest, and. Um, you know, we just had a really good time. Uh, it, it's, I think it's really important that the people you work with 
in a play-by-play setting or people you enjoy dealing with, uh, not only on the mic, but off the mic, because you travel together an awful lot. Coach B, he did a couple of tours of Andy basketball color because he came back and Joe Fisher was doing pull-up play at the time before Tim Thompson took it over. Nobody knows more about Vandy basketball than Ron Bargatze. <laughs> um, it, he's an amazing um, resource, an amazing wealth of knowledge. He's been a great friend to me, and the year we got to work together was just a blast, and I always knew it would be. And, and I think he was in sports talk for a while, too. Coach he B. was. He did a uh, he did a morning show for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, but Coach B's biggest strength is his love of basketball. Uh, like me, he's, he's a guy that just enjoys going to a game and sitting and watching, you know, two teams uh, go at it. Now, how good – was some of the basketball conversation when you weren't on the air. Like, if you had a question about, like, not really a primer for basketball, maybe like a refresh course, you forgot what, you know, pick and rolls were and so on and so forth. How often would you lean, how often do you lean on your analyst for things like that? Like a well, Coach with, B or other coaches like that? Yeah, with Coach B, I had known him since I was 10 years old. I went to to Vanderbilt's basketball camp as a little kid, which is where we got to know each other. Wow. The fun would be when we would be driving to a game. When we did we did OVC uh, Monday night television together, and we'd drive to a game. And, man, some of those conversations, um, you know, you, you could put those on tape and sell them because they were just incredible. I would have loved, loved to have been a fly on the wall for those. Yeah, and, I mean, you know, there were times where Willie, early in his career, got a chance to listen in on some of those, depending on where we'd be going. And uh, they just were a lot of fun. And we'd get into hypothetical arguments about, <laughs> you know, this team or that team. Um, it, it just was that, – that was so much fun. I think isn't he isn't Coach B doing uh, the golf course thing now? I think, or something. Or? Well, he, he's doing a little bit of everything. I had him, um, I had him come on once a week uh, this past basketball season, and it's just like you know picking <laughs> right up off of. Uh, you had you did. had Greg Maddox, you had CPA head coach who was a very class act. I've met him at least once. Very class act for super, for CPA basketball. And then go Tim Thompson, who has been Vandy's color analyst for basketball for, what, 22, 23 years? Hard to believe. I I lost count. Well, T- Tim's another great friend. Um, we were in school together. He's a little bit older th- than I am by, I don't know, two or three years. But, right. you know, we hit it off. Uh, we got to know each other. We were both at Vandy. And we've stayed close friends all these years. He's another one that I love picking his brain on, you know, certain strengths and weaknesses of teams. Um, 
Tim knows basketball big time. And you called Drew, you called most of Drew Maddox's basketball games with, um, oh, who was that team you had? A team of Prater at the point, if my math is correct. Yeah, we had Austin Pates and Billy Spaltro oh, yeah. yep. and Drew. Yep. Yeah. Remember that bunch? So, what was doing the pregame shows with Coach Van Bredikoff and uh, Coach Fogler and other coaches you dealt with in your career? Especially when you had to do the pregame interview, especially when you know coaches are just flat paranoid with the third or fourth estate, the media, to get information and thoughts from the coach. It, it really was. Yeah, it really was never that way uh, for me. I, I think I've always had a great relationship with coaches because I think they come to understand that if there's certain things they don't want on the air, then I'm not going to put them on the air. Right. And it was one of the ways that Kevin Stallings and I became such good friends because he knew that he could bounce things off of me, get an opinion, you know, as a former Vandy announcer talking to a Vandy coach. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's one of the few things I've ever gotten right in broadcasting is that there are certain times where if somebody tells you, look, you can't use this on your show, I've always honored that request. And I think for that reason, I've always had really good relationships with coaches. Okay, thank you for bringing this up because this is a follow-up question to this. How long, as a play-by-play voice, as a sports talk host, and even when you stepped away from the limelight of being a sports talk host and a play-by-play voice with Belmont, with your job that you had there. How long did it take you to build up trust with the people that either you were around or who were around you to make sure that they could really, they could count on you to basically keep, you know, their things that they wanted off record, off record. Um, you know, I, I don't know, I guess, you know, with each individual person, it's different, uh, but they all come to, to realize that, you know, that you can trust them or, or they can trust you, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, um, like with Kevin Stallings, I was never his announcer at Vandy. Right. But, um, you know, we just hit it off. Tim Thompson was the one who actually introduced us. We, we really didn't know each other. Mm-hmm. And as conversations started going, uh, I wasn't afraid to ask Kevin his opinion mm-hmm. about things that had nothing to do with basketball, <laughs> um, you know, things that were going on in my world. And, uh, I mean, I found him to be an incredible friend, um, a guy whose advice was spot on at times, man. Uh, just a great friend and, and still a great friend, uh, even though he's out of coaching. But mm-hmm. I think with, with each one of these, it's just a, a deal where, you know, they have to figure out, you know, can they trust you and vice versa? And, mm-hmm. you know, you just sort of move on. Let's go to a little bit of game prep here. 
when you were doing play-by-play with Vanderbilt, with Memphis, I think your last broadcast was, what, Belmont, I guess? Well, what, what's happened is that uh, with all the shuffling that's gone on, I've agreed to do Belmont's games, um, you know, oh. from from now to the end of the season. Yeah, since Kevin and, Ingram resigned uh, so, to that, I, I saw that yesterday. Yeah, I wasn't sure how that was going to go. And I guess they're going to be online only because 560 is like crowded in the zone. They don't carry many Belmont games. So I don't know how I'm going to be able to catch you on the broadcast for those. Well, it, it's a it's like you said, an Internet deal where you go to BelmontBruins.com. The, I, I tried to the, find their live link, but I couldn't find it on BelmontBruins.com. Yeah. Well, I'm probably the last person you need to ask because technologically, <laughs> I think we both know uh, sometimes I can be in the dark ages. Anyway, well, at the, least you made it here. So, Yeah. How about that? How about it? So but, you, you were about to ask me something and I interrupted you and I no, apologize. You're, you're good. You're, I mean, cause I was going to ask you about like, cause I didn't know you were going to actually go back to doing actual PXP work again. So with everything from when you started to now with all the technology and things like that, has anything changed in your game prep for doing an actual broadcast or is it still the same nuts and bolts from when you were doing the actual games till you stepped away from it now that you're coming back for a second time with Beaumont to do it again? Uh, no, it hadn't changed at all. I, I'm, I'm, first of all, I'm kind of old school. Uh, I'm probably not the guy that's going to break out a lot of technology. I like old I school. Friend of mine, I had a friend of mine give me a score sheet in basketball 40 years ago, and it's the same score sheet I'm using today oh, because wow. – like I told uh, uh, a couple of young people getting in, in this business, you know, I've gotten through SEC, mm-hmm. I've gotten through ACC, which Th- was Tech TV. Yeah, this this uh, this score sheet in basketball has stood the test of time. And uh, but here's the thing, you know, I, mine is not the only method to do it. I bet if you if you ask 10 different play-by-play announcers, they've all got different ways that they go about skinning the cat. Mm-hmm. And all I would say to somebody young getting in the business is do whatever works for you, not necessarily what works for me. Now, I may teach uh, because I, you know, I, I certainly have tried to pass on uh, to younger announcers how I've gone about doing it, but I always tell them, look, don't just do it because I tell you to do it. Uh, you know, figure out what works for you, what's comfortable, what, you know, what system when you get on the air, can you find the material that you need at the time you need it? I mean, I can give you a perfect example. I mean, with me being blind, the only thing I can do here is, you know, at the high school level, get both rosters, make sure I'm, you know, correct on pronunciation and hope and pray that I do the best job I possibly can because I don't have a st- I mean, they have a person keeping the stat book, but they don't have like everything that I can say. Okay. So, I mean, I just get what I can, the, the relevant numbers that I'm going to need from the scores table. And of course, having a spotter helps. So, so. That, oh, I mean, I can't even imagine 
the obstacles that you fight through to do what you're doing. And, you know, I, I, I don't even, I, I can't even fathom what you're trying to do, but I know this, it's pretty amazing. I do the best I can. I mean, there's, you know, people are like, Oh, how do you do this? And I'm like, Hey, I do the best I can with what I have and whatever I can get. I hope and pray it's going to be enough. And as long as I can get a good broadcast, I'm okay. Yeah. After that, if my broadcast stuff can't stand on its own two feet and it's, you know, can't stand on its own face value, neither a, I'm not doing a good enough job and I need to improve on it or they're stuck in their own, they're stuck in their own little box and they know what they want. And it's not, and basically I'm not what they want. I don't fit there. One of the two. Yeah. But I mean, you and I had this conversation on your show when you were talking about like old school broadcasters and broadcasters we enjoy. If you remember that conversation a while back on your sports talk show, when basically it was nothing to do. And we just, you just got into, you know, your favorite broadcasters, who you liked and why. I kind of want to bring that back a little bit, if you don't mind. Sure. What? And you and I can agree on this that I I pretty much enjoy more of a radio broadcast than I do a TV broadcast any day of the week. Because for me, it's like I don't mind TV, but it feels but is radio for me? It's just better because you get more you get more description if the broadcasters are actually doing their job and I've actually painting told, the picture. Yeah, Luther, I've always told young broadcasters that they need to start out trying to do radio in in TV. The play-by-play announcer is kind of a game manager. Yep. They basically give you, you know, Jones has 15 and the lead is six where in radio, you've got to give them more of the top of the key to the right wing. They get it down low into the, you got to paint the whole picture. And to be honest, uh, you think a lot of announcers fail at that? Sorry to cut you off, but for me, I think a lot of broadcasters fail at painting the picture. Well, I think a lot of them, first of all, you're, you're dead on right. Uh, it's either <coughs> kind of a laziness or, or what you get now a lot are TV guys that get thrown into radio exactly who have no idea what they're doing. And I'd say the only exception to that would be a possible, since he does a national championship every year on radio, the last few years I've listened to the national call, and the basically SEC Saturday Night crew on ESPN has been Sean McDonough and Todd Blackledge, or, you know, or whoever is with him with the color. And I will say... I think Sean McDonough does a good job at transitioning from TV to radio. Even though, even there's a lot of things that I like to see him do a little bit better at, but you know, just the way he sets the scenes and does all the situations and things like that, radio-wise, he does a very good job at it. I'm not surprised. I think he's one of the underrated talents that's out there. Um, And I'll give you another one who I think is really underrated is Dan Shulman. Oh, tell me about it. Dan Shulman is at the absolute 
top of the the play-by-play tree and yet when you throw that name out you know i like him better don't even know who he is georgie do you really want to know the truth about it i like him better on radio than new tv i mean i love the way he does baseball on the radio yeah he's really good i love the way he does it it's not you know shove stuff in your face it's not coming at you hard it's nice and easy and it's a broadcast you can actually, you know, catch on to. Same thing with the Dave O'Brien, who used to be on the radio side with the Atlanta Braves back in the day that you know very well. That's where I got to know Dave. Uh, what a, what an amazing talent he is. No kidding. With, as Larry Munson used to say to me, he's got the greatest pipes in the world. Yes, sir. <laughs> Hey, look, look, oh, we, you and I can go down the broadcast list all day long. Dave O'Brien, Ron Franklin, who you did have interview. And I wondered what happened to that guy. But the day you had him on, I'm like, yep. He did well on radio as well with the Mike Godfrey. I thought they were a great crew. They were kind of the first ESPN Saturday night crew. Mm -hmm. I thought they were terrific. I loved them when they did the national championship because they had Mike Godfrey, Ron Franklin, and I can't remember who the uh, sideline Adrian was. Karsten uh, yes. was their sideline guy. I don't remember him doing – I don't remember him on the sideline for the championship game on radio. What I do remember was it was Godfrey and Franklin. I remember that. Yeah. And basically, you know – even if it was a blowout, they would find a way to at least keep it entertaining. But I loved those two as a broadcast team on Radio Zag, especially just for the national championship game. And I, and you know, I got it. I got to give it up to Brent Musburger too, who's the current radio voice of the Las Vegas Raiders. I'm like, wow, Brent doing radio again. All right, thank you. Life is complete. <laughs> Now that Brent Musburger is on the radio side and not on TV, working with Lincoln Kennedy on Raider Radio through Compass Media. And here's the thing. You're still looking live at somewhere. Actually, I think he's changed it. He's like, you are listening live. I think he's changed it since he slid over to the radio booth. Good for him. (laughs) And the thing is, the Vegas Raiders Radio Network doesn't even have a sideline guy. It's just him and Kennedy. Yeah. And here's a question, now that I think about it. Is it better to not have a sideline guy? Because I know when you did the games with Gromos, you guys didn't even have one. For oh, football. actually, we did. Really? Uh, it was Willie. Oh. Because I remember on more yeah. than one occasion, it was just you and Gromos. I'm like, okay. Is that is that the two-man booth? Because I'm like, okay. No, it was, actually, uh, it was actually Willie. Ah, um, okay. And, and that was the scenario where I was allowed to pick basically who I wanted to work with, uh, which was really nice. And that's what ended up happening. And the Memphis Tiger Network has done that for a while because for a while it was, you know, the current radio voice, Dave Velocian, his sideline guy was his basketball analyst, Matt Dillon. They've been together for a hot, for a pretty good minute too. So it's an interesting concept that the basketball color analysts would also be sidelined, but I think that's changing out there. Greg Gaskin for the home games. And well, have- the, the truth of it is, Dave should have gotten the play-by-play job when I got it. He and I laugh about it 
from time to time when we run into each other. Willotion? Uh, I'm I'm a big Dave Willotion fan. Oh, I like. I mean, he he and I, he and I will you know depending on what our schedule is, we'll text back and forth. We'll you know talk from time to time, talk about different stuff. Sometimes, heck, you can even talk about life. I even had him on this podcast, by the way. I don't know if you got a chance to listen to that interview. That was some entertaining stuff. Well, he even really he good. Um, a lot of stuff I didn't even know. Yeah, when he when he did the TV side of Memphis basketball, I'm like, whoa, because I always, you know, think of him as more of a radio guy, and I always forget that there's more than one occasion that they'll have him slide over to TV for baskets well, the, in non-con. It, first of all, the, the basketball is incredibly important down there. Mm-hmm. For all of the, the good stuff that's going on in football, that's a basketball school, and it'll always be. Yep. And people really appreciate uh, the basketball. W- when I got there, they had a very popular tape delay replay. And a buddy of mine, John Albright, was the, the color announcer. And, you know, they, they, they had really good numbers on those replays. It's, it's harder now to make that work because you've got so many games live mm-hmm. that it doesn't make a lot of sense. No. But back then, man, that was a, that was a big-time popular deal in that city. So answer me this. When you were working with Paul and Lee Fowler, who were the guys – that you remember that just jumped right off the page and out of the building when it was hoop sent when it was hoop season. And I think, were you there when Penny Hardaway, who's now the current Memphis Tech head coach, did you call any of his stuff? Oh, I, I was three years uh, before he got to college, but one of my best buddies down there, John Wilfong took me to see Hardaway uh, one night in a high school game. I had never heard of him at that point. Right. And when I saw him, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. I mean, at, you know, as a, as a, whatever he was, sophomore in high school. Oh my God. He was better than anything I'd ever seen. It was unbelievable. What did he bring when you saw him at high school? That's like, Whoa. Memphis is getting somebody special here. Well, at that point, they didn't know they were getting him. Right. So there was a big recruiting war going on about him. But you could just see, good Lord, his his passing ability, his ability to see the court, you know, unlike anybody I'd ever really seen on the high school level. It it was just stunning. And, uh, I mean, look, you didn't have to be Red Arback. (laughs) <laughs> just sit there and say, man, this guy is going to be something. You, you, it, it didn't take a rocket scientist to put two and two together. No. <clears throat> Did you, by happen chance, work with Bob Rush, who was the longtime radio color analyst for Tiger football? Or were you just there for basketball at that point? Did I lose you? Yeah, I was just asking you, did you, by happen, did you work with, um, Long time Memphis Tiger football color analyst Bob Rush, or were you just there for basketball? No, um, it, let, let me think here. My year, Paul Hartledge was my color guy, mm-hmm. and a young TV guy named 
Glenn uh, Glenn Carver. Hmm. And was that the season where WMC Action News 5, where they had that fire and most of the video stuff got destroyed? Or was that after you had left? I think we lost him. Uh Uh-oh. I'm not hearing your signal. To be considered. George, you're gonna have to start all that back over because I you lost it. You were you were at the you were talking about a young TV guy, and then all of a sudden it's like I didn't hear anything else afterwards. Okay. Um what ended up happening? Memphis I guess uh, awarded their radio rights to a, a different station. WMC in Memphis had had their games forever, and all of a sudden a country music station Kicks 106. Kicks 106 took it over. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, they wanted kind of a new, you know, here's the new station. Here's the new sound. And I just happened to be, you know, at that point, a guy that was starting to, you know, get a reputation that, you know, I knew how to do play by play and that kind of thing. Yeah. And they took a chance on me. And I guess the rest is history. And then at Gillette, I think Paul Hartledge slid into the play-by-play chair, and man. He did. Now, what a lot of people don't know was I was offered the job back a month after I resigned, and I did a smart thing. I probably didn't know it was the smart thing to do at the time. Right. I told the president of the school when I met with him about a month later, I said, look, you need an announcer that wants to be here. And that's not me. You know, I'm going to have one foot headed toward Nashville and Memphis state deserves better than that. And it's nothing. And that's where Paul Hartledge come into play. Yeah, absolutely. Because I remember hearing him in his later years and then he, you know, when he started to have the health issues and then John Kosky took it over. And then when he passed away, then Dave basically slid over to radio, and he's been ensconced in radio ever since. Yeah, and Dave, Dave was the Dave was the obvious person to have that job. He's just really good. He's very smooth. Now he told me. I don't know if he mind me sharing this, but I think he said that Paul basically said. When I'm gone, I want you to take it over so you can keep the radio tradition going. I'm like, wow. Yeah, I don't that's, doubt that's, that that's, because they were very close. That that's that's a pretty high blessing from a guy that you know had done had been with the program, the broadcast, you know, the broadcasts and the yeah. athletic programs on TV, and then having to slide over to radio. I didn't ask him this, but. It seemed like the transition was pretty easy for him. Well, it, it sure helped that Dave Dave had a talk show in Memphis. He was well-respected, mm-hmm. and he just was the natural to step in. Mm-hmm. And they were very fortunate that they had somebody like that in the bullpen that could come in and make it, you know, pretty much a seamless trans transition. 
That doesn't and I think always Bob happen. Rush was and I think Bob Rush was still at the color analyst spot. He was with color doing color for football forever. Because the years that I listened to it, and I still do, but Bob Rush was probably the best color analyst to explain things and why they work, why either it worked or why it didn't work like it was supposed to. Yeah, he listen, he was really good. Uh, but you gotta remember. At 26, I was in no position to be saying, okay, here's, here's who I want to work with or who's, here's who I don't want to work with, blah, blah, blah. Uh, although I, I will say yet. this, I did sort of force the issue that I got Lee Fowler into the basketball, which was a really <laughs> smart thing. Lee is exceptionally good at that. I know you. I think I know you have Lee Fowler coming on. What you have him come on? What Wednesdays or Tuesdays to talk? Yeah, yeah I mean, things athletics. It, it's just sort of whenever um, you know something warrants it. And Lee has been really generous with his time. It's been great to have him back here uh, to be able to renew, you know, a friendship that goes back thirty-five years. I mean, he's the reason. He's the reason I got the interview to begin with to try wow. to go after the job. And uh, so it's just been great having him, him uh, and Carol back here. <laughs> and I know you guys lost what, um, who was it not too long ago? I saw on Facebook, Rick uh, region, I guess not too long ago. I saw that on Facebook and I'm like, wow. And all the compliments you guys told about him and the save the predators thing and sports fest and, Rick was now, Rick far, was one of my. How far does that go back? Well, Rick, Rick uh, losing losing him as a friend has really mm-hmm. hurt. This is this happened sure. about a month ago, and mm-hmm. first of all, uh, the Titans would not be here if it were not for the work that Rick Region and all the group that represented NFL Vote Yes did. Uh, was that, that was that also when Bill Frist was on that team as well as the mayor or governor at that point here? That worked. Uh, you know, this was <laughs> this was 1996. Yeah, I think um, Frist was there. I think at that time. Whatever the case, the mm-hmm. the before Rick and his group stepped up, the referendum was going to lose around 60-40. And by the time they got to the point where the actual, um, you know, election day happened, it ended up going 60-40 the other way. And then 11 years later, when I got involved in trying to see to it that the Predators would stay here, I kind of roped Rick into into a little bit of my (laughs) mess. I thought turnaround ought to be fair play. And over the years, not only was he a neighbor, we lived – like four doors down from each other. We talked. Yeah, and it seemed like you guys worked in pretty good tandem with each other over the years on a lot of stuff. Uh Uh-oh, did I lose him again? Uh Uh-oh. Done. 
jobs. Hey, Luther, are you there? Yep, I'm right with you. Sorry, I think your signal dropped. So, but it, se- it seemed like you and Rick worked on a lot of things in tandem together. Oh yeah, gosh, we uh, we kept the clinic bowl alive about six years longer than it had a right to uh, to happen. Rick had been the chairman of the clinic bowl back in 1988, and that was something that was really near and dear to his heart. Anytime I did the sports festival, I always had Rick in the middle of it. <laughs> he just, uh, he loved Nashville and he loved sports in Nashville. And it was so cool the day of his funeral service. They did a graveside service. Wow. And to see so many of his friends in a pandemic turn mm-hmm. out. I mean, I think he would have, first of all, I think he'd have been thrilled that that many people cared and uh, he deserved that. He really did. Hmm. How big were your parents and maybe influencing you on allowing you to chase what you wanted to chase after? Yeah, they were huge. Um, I mean, they certainly weren't the ones that pushed me to do it. That was sort of me pushing myself, but I always knew that they weren't going to let me fall in a gutter. And, uh, you know, for that, I mean, I'll always be appreciative. There's not a day goes by that. I don't think about my mom and dad, Mm. uh, miss them, you know, like, like anybody would. And, uh, they, they were, they were great people. Uh, (laughs) they, they didn't have much to work with, but, uh, they made what, it work. They, they did the hey. They did the best they could with what they had to work with. Exactly, and that <laughs> that that and the most good strong most good strong homes. That's how it is. They work with what they have and make it work. Well, I'll give you a for instance. Um, I, I just uh, I went out recently and bought a cassette tape player. Oh my! Well, you know I. <laughs> I, I found one at Walmart. I've got all these tapes and they're all on cassette. <laughs> and, you know, so I, I buy this tape player having no idea whether any of these tapes still work. Wow. And, you know, I, I went down to the garage and, you know, it got kind of emotional as mm. I started thinking about all the nights that my dad, who really was not a big sports fan at all, <laughs> would sit and tape my games I mean, I don't think he was a big sports fan, but I think he was a big fan of mine. And, um, you know, I, I, I could never say thank you enough. What was it like actually going back besides being the emotional fad when you put your broadcasting hat on that when you went back and listened to them after getting the tape player? What did you feel like you, you know, maybe learned about yourself or maybe <clears throat> your keys and your takeaways, if you could revamp anything of your broadcast that you would have liked to revamp, if you could go back in time? Not really. I mean, um, I, I just pulled a, a cassette out just for the hell of it <laughs> um, about a week ago um, because I wanted to see, first of all, 
when you're when you're trying to teach younger people the way to do something, you you know, at some point, first of all, they want to hear what you used to do. Mm-hmm. And secondly, they probably want to know if all this crap you're teaching them, you actually did, or is it just pie in the sky? Sure. And I, I was happy when I went back to the tape. Um, I, I plucked out just kind of out of thin air a tape of a Vandy Boston College basketball game. Uh, now, okay, hold on. Let me see if I get this right here. When you say Boston College, was that the longtime voice Ted Hernandez with Hal Evans on Boston on the Boston College radio broadcasting? When honestly, I don't know. Hill? Yeah, I, honestly, I don't know. It was a basketball game in uh, in their arena that's called the Conte Forum. Yeah, I believe it and, was. Yeah, and we had had a we had had a really bad snowstorm. And we were lucky to get in there, period. And we didn't play particularly well. But anyway, I just sort of plucked this tape out. First of all, I wanted to see if anything would come out of this cassette tape, which has been sitting in my garage for, God, 25, 30 years. And the thing still played. And, you know, it it taught me it taught me some things to just go back and listen to it. Um you know, I, I'm not Dick Enberg, but you can do a whole lot worse than me. Um, I guess that's that's where I'd put it. So, what were the, like the best moments that you've covered in your play-by-play career? Uh, say that again, if you will. I, I lost you there for a second. As a play-by-play voice, how many special moments have you had the chance to cover, even if it may not have been like for a championship game, maybe like a player doing an individual feat or vice versa? Yeah, probably not a lot, to be honest, um, because w- when I did Vandy, it was at a really low ebb in the mid-90s. So there wasn't a lot. I, I would say it was more <laughs> some of the places that I got to go. Uh, it was a real thrill to do a couple of games in the old ECAC Holiday Festival at Madison Square Garden. We played, uh, my Memphis State team played the eventual national champion, Kansas, and that was very cool. Uh, doing games at Freedom Hall in Louisville. Danny uh, an old, Yeah, an old building that I loved. And Memphis State and Louisville hated each other. And they still and so do, that was, even though they yeah. don't play each other anymore. Yeah, it was a very intense rivalry. Um, I, I'm trying to think of, of places that I've been that really that I really enjoyed. The old Keel Center in St. Louis. Ah, uh, yes, the Keel. Yeah, the old one was. Uh, wow that that blew me away. I, I don't know that I really understood until I walked in what it was I was going to be getting. Yeah, inside um, that with. With of course the late Dan Kelly at the time, Blues Radio, yeah. Blues Radio Voice, the the best hockey announcer probably. And I God didn't ever know this. I didn't know Jack Buck actually narrated the highlights. Uh, I didn't know that either. Well, I I was in the YouTube wormhole one night. Okay, you can find a lot of stuff on YouTube, but it was like Blues of what was it? 
it wasn't the first season. It was after ja- after you know they Dan Kelly decided to take they brought in Dan Kelly to do the hockey, and they had Jack Buck doing you know kind of a recap show with the with the Blues highlights. And it was interesting how that actually sounded. I'm like, okay, the voice of the Cardinals of baseball, soon to be the voice of the Cardinals of baseball. Yeah. With he was working with Harry Carey at the time, this is number two. Mm-hmm. So he was doing a blues recap of playoff action with the Minnesota North Stars. Oh wow. With Dan Kelly on the play by play. I don't remember I don't remember who the color analyst was with Dan Kelly. I don't know if he had a color in the store. If he, well, he probably did, but I don't I remember who the guy was. Because <laughs> you normally didn't hear the color else. So I'm like, whoa. It was like a two-parter or something like that. It was like a five-game series or like 19... What was it? I don't remember exactly what the year was, but you can find it on YouTube. It was really wow. interesting. Good stuff. That you know, that's why I like sports because you learn stuff and you actually get to listen to some of the classic stuff of classic play-by-play voices. And yeah, yes, I think I, all of us that ever get in this business sort of look back on on the people that were doing this before we were because Woody Durham, they yeah, they didn't have the internet. Nope. Uh, you know, they didn't have a TV monitor nope. to check out a replay. I mean, those guys, they really did radio play-by-play. And they had to do it off of, off of basically muscle memory. Yeah, and, uh, and, and you're right about the, the whole, you know, it's not what it used to be. But TV's kind of seen to that because so many of the games now are on television that yep. the radio – uh, has become kind of a secondary deal. Mm-hmm. But who are some of your favorite broadcasters that you listened to growing up and how many of them have you actually gotten a chance to either A, work with or B, meet in your career? Well, the, the guy that <coughs> I thought was the best radio, the best baseball radio guy, period, was Jack Buck. Bingo. Jack Buck turned on um, the emotion of a big play that the Cardinals made. There was never anybody better than him. Mm-hmm. Um, and and this is not meant as disrespect at Vin Scully, but Jack Buck's the best that's ever been in, in radio. Oh, definitely. And, uh, just an amazing talent. If but you go thing, back, if you I go will. back, 30, 35 years ago mm-hmm. to when Marty Brenneman started in Cincinnati, actually 46 years ago, I think is, is yeah, the actual number. Yeah. And, and Marty b- became a good friend. We ended up meeting in a, in a strange deal where we were the only two people in the building <laughs> in the old Cincinnati garden in 1988, his, Cincinnati Bearcat team was about to take on my Memphis state team. And I got up the nerve to go over and just say, Hey, I've been listening to you for years. (laughs) You are really good. And, you know, I got a chance uh, about a year and a half ago when Marty announced that he was retiring, I sent Mm -hmm. him a, a text message and it turned out he and his wife were coming through Nashville 
that morning and I met him for lunch and it was, it was just incredible. 80 worked as his longtime broadcast partner, Joe Nuxall forever as well. I never met Joe Nuxall, but I remember, um, <clears throat> one day I, I, when I would go to Cincinnati, I, I would always make a point to go up and see Marty. And this was about, I don't know, 30, 45 minutes before their broadcast, mm-hmm. uh, started and he and I were yucking it up and Jeff Brantley walks in. He doesn't know who I am. And he goes, well, I gather, you know, <laughs> Marty. And I said, yep, yes. I, I, I think it's fair to say we've, we've gotten past that part. I will say this, Brantley has, you know, made the transition from TV to radio very well. I remember the first time hearing him mostly on TV on ESPN. And I'm like, okay, he's, he, you know, he's a good ex and I was guy explains pitching and things like that. But I think he's gotten better at doing actual play-by-play while still, when it's time for him to do color, explaining the game. Well, you can take to the bank that he had a great teacher in Marty Brenneman. Mm-hmm. The thing, the thing I told Marty that, and, and I really haven't talked to him since, since you know it all ended mm-hmm. for him. But I told him, I said, "You're going to feel a level of love that you're not going to believe." And he said, "Why do you think that?" And I said, "Because you've been." an invited guest into people's homes mm-hmm. 162 times a year and not for five minutes, but for three hours. I said, a lot of these people consider you to be a family member more than they do certain members of their family. They don't even like the set, the soundtracks of spring and summer. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, uh, that was some of what we talked about that day at lunch mm-hmm. and, and he was like you know why do you think that and I said because I know I said you are beloved and I said you're about to um, you're about to feel a level of appreciation and love uh, you know in that tri-state area that would carry Reds games that that is going to blow your mind and, I, and I'm sure it did oh I, I still remember when he did his final speech, I mean, he's like, there was a lot of folks already right below the booth that were in to say hi to him. And I'm like, wow. I'm like. Yeah, I, being... made a po- I made a point to watch that day because uh, I wanted to see what was going to go on. And it was against the Brewers. And basically, you know, they had already knew they weren't going to make the playoffs anyway. It was basically the final home game. And I'm like, I listened to it and I'm like, Wow. That's how a broadcaster go as supposed to go out. The right Marty way. was Marty to me was just not only a great caller of a game, but fun, uh, cynical at times. <laughs> he just always made me laugh. And and I told him that. I said, That's one of your great talents. And I will say this, Pat Hughes of the Cubs does pretty well for himself as well when he had, of course, Ron Sando, who's no longer in the broadcast booth, but him and Ron Sano and now him and Ron Toomer. Yeah. There, there are a bunch of, well. there are a bunch of really good ones on the major league level. Uh, the guys that have been there a while are there for a reason because they're really good. And in their community, they are the cat daddy. 
Yeah, Mike Shannon, John Green, the Cardinal Radio Network broadcasting about to go in their 16th year, I think, if my math is right. 15th or 16th. Yeah, Shannon's been there probably about 50. Yeah, he, I think this is like his 40, what, 42nd about to be in the booth for home games, I think. Yeah. Something like that, because he, he worked with Jack Buck in 1975. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm like, what? He worked with Jack Buck for 26 years? Yeah. I'm like, that's crazy. Because mo- most broadcast teams switch up after five. Maybe six if you're lucky. You know, not like, in St. Louis. Uh, apparently not. Because apparently it was Harry Carey and Jack Buck forever. Then it was Jack Buck and Mike Shannon forever. And then Mike Shannon rotated through some guys with the current television voice of the New Orleans Pelicans, Joel Myers, who also has the one of the best pipes of God. And I still, <laughs> I still like him on radio better on Sunday Night Football, if I do say so myself. Thank you. Him and Bob Trumpy. Sorry, wow. there, there was just some. There's just something about a Sunday, a Joel Myers game on a Sunday night when he did the call. There was just nothing like it. And of course, the yeah. late, and of course, the late great Harry Callis, and a guy that's still the voice of the Billikens also joined him, joined Mike Shannon on the Cardinal broadcast, and Bob Ramsey, who has been the voice of the Billikens forever. And I'm trying to think. John, yeah, John Rooney came in 06, and he had Wayne Hagen for a brief period, who was on the Rockies broadcast with Jeff Kingery. And I'm like, oh, boy. Well, you, I mean, you just knew when you went around the radio dial with baseball and things like that, there was prof- there was professionalism across the radio dial. The late Ernie Harwell with the Tigers. I mean, you tell me. Well, no, I I, I mean, I'm with you. The baseball guys that you're talking about were, I mean, they're the guys that made radio great. You know, you you and I share a love of, of in the summer being two people that would flip the radio dial around. WSB, Uh, Skip Carey, Pete Bickler, and Joe Simpson, Don Sutton, most of the times they'd rotate. But they, it was still it was still the same four broadcast crew. I know you remember back when it was a five person crew with Ernie Johnson, who would who would bring a Skip Carey and a Pete Van Warren into the broadcast family. At that yeah. point, pretty amazing stuff. <clears throat> I even back and caught a John a couple of John Sterling radio highlights too. Sure, uh, the, like, the night of Rick Camp's homer, um, Sterling the is call. the one who. Did the call in the, uh, I guess the bottom of the 18th inning, something like that. It, it, they didn't even now. I the reason why I remember that is because I went back in the YouTube wormhole, and they had broadcast calls of almost every Braves game, with a few exceptions, with the Barty Burnmans of the world. And I think I can't remember who the other guy was, but there was a lot of MLB guys in the 80s. Where they'd have like the musical soundtracks of the 80s and they'd get to a certain point of music, cut the music off, and then Nashville had the play-by-play of the respective team. And I'm like, okay. That whole lot of Atlanta Braves, though, with Pete Bengler and Skip Carey, John Sterling. Um, I think Ernie Johnson was still there at the time. I think it was like a four-person booth, but it really wouldn't be... Yeah. 
you didn't have you didn't have Joe Simpson and Don Sutton until what later? They they were late eighties coming in there. Yeah, because I know Sterling went to the Yankees in eighty nine. He's had that job for twenty three years. Luther twenty third year. I've got to stop this. I've gotten a phone call from a relative that I oh. have got to take. Well, even though we had some technical snafus, hopefully when we get a chance to do this again, hopefully in the new year, hopefully we'll be on the right path to hopefully getting this thing under control and I can we can all get back to doing our getting back to working on our crafts, hopefully, at some point. Amen. I hope. Listen. Merry Christmas to you and your family and to all the listeners. Same to you. Thank you, sir. And thanks for the time. Absolutely. Luther, take care. Thank you.